Welcome to the We Are Calvary podcast, where our mission is to share Jesus and help people experience life change. Thank you so much for listening. Here's this week's message. Good morning. Thank you so much for being with us today. Those who are watching online, I guess I'm going to see 143 of you out at the golf tournament. So that should be fun and uh, just great. Mary mentioned Vacation Bible School. Several hundred are already signed up. They have 100, 147 adults plus 40 young adults who are going to help, and they only need 13 more. And so if you'd like to help, there's over 500 children already signed up, according to Lindsay. By the way, and here's the important key as we begin this morning, 70, uh, 78 of those children so far don't go to church. They're unchurched. How many think that's a big deal? It is. It's huge, and they're going to have fun, but they're going to hear the dangerous message of Jesus, and they're going to take that back into their houses, amen? And so we're excited about that, and uh, be praying. Uh, if you'd like to give a scholarship, it's $30, and I know that doesn't sound like much if you have a job and everything's going well, but there's a lot of people who are struggling, and $30 is, is a big deal. Lindsay sent me this text yesterday, or email that she got, I should say, and uh, Someone wanted to send their child. They were invited by someone and they couldn't. So Lindsay sent back that we would gladly just have their kids come and it's not a big deal. And uh, the mom responded with this. She said, thank you for sending this. I've been out of work and can barely afford food. I'm crying over this email. Someone from your church invited us and it broke my heart to not be able to send them to your event. God bless you and this church. See, that's the church. We invited someone. I'm not going to charge them anything. We just want their kids to come. That's the church in action. That's why we do what we do. It matters, once again, that unchurched kids attend Vacation Bible School uh, because they'll take what they hear back into their homes. And so if you'd like to help with a scholarship, you can see Alexis out there. Uh, the passage, as I've already said, and I probably used the wrong word, you should probably never call anything in the Bible weird. And so I want to retract that, but shall we say unusual? It's an unusual passage. Maybe that's not so good either. It was, it was just, it was, a, and it was a good passage for me. Now, it's coming out of John's gospel, and I'm not going to have you stand. We, we've done some of that, but John's gospel, if you want to turn there, it's all about believing. And this one believed on the Lord Jesus, and this group believed in the Lord, and, and this, this over here, they believed in the miracles. They did this or that. The book of John is all about, John is, is big on believing in, in Jesus Christ. 40% of the usage of the word believe or belief or believing is used in the Gospel of John out of 240 references in the New Testament. 99, 99 of them take place in the Gospel of John. You can't turn to a, a chapter without John re reminding us about believing in the Lord Jesus. And there's just some passages I would point to your attention just to kind of establish how important believing is, how important truly believing in Jesus is. John chapter one and seven said that he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. That all might believe. It's the gospel. John chapter one and verse 12, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Again, believing is, is, is the key. It, it's critical to who we are, believing in the gospel, believing in Jesus. John chapter 20 and verse 31, but these are written so that you may believe 
that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And then that familiar passage out of John, chapter 3, verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his, only, his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So when I read the Gospel of John, that, I, I pick up on that. I, I, I know those, where those verses are about believing. But there was a couple of verses that, that truly just escaped me. And I, I want you to see if, if you don't notice something different about them. It's, it's like a paradigm shift in some form or fashion today. And it's found in John chapter 2, verses 23 through 25. And again, I won't have you stand, but I, I, I would ask you to take a minute before I read it to get a handle and, and to look at that and see if you find maybe something, the same thing that I did. Now, while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. He knew what was in each person. So let's look at this real quickly. Verse 23. While he was in Jerusalem at Passover, many believed the miracles and believed in his name. Well, that, that seems like a yay moment for me. What about you? They believed in his name. They saw the miracles. Miracles did two things. They confirmed who Jesus was. And, and it led people to believe in Jesus, the Son of God. It starts with people believing. But something about that, that verse begins to change in just the next verse. And it's found in verse 24. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them for he knew all people. That word entrust means believe. It's the same word for both words, entrust and believe. So in other words, this is saying, Jesus would not believe in their belief. I mean, wow. Jesus would not entrust himself to them. And then it goes on and it gives the explanation. Because he knew all people. He knows them. And by extension, what's the, what's the next line I'm going to say? He knows us. He knows what's going on inside of you, even at this moment. He knows whether or not you're thinking about that par three and how you're going to hit it so good. He knows. He knows that the things of this world are pressing in on your belief in him. He knows. He knows all people. So it says he would not entrust himself. Why? Because he knew them. He knew what was going on in those places, in my heart and in your heart and in their heart, where no one else could see. He knew the kind of belief would make it hard for them to connect with him. It was a belief that was kind of a belief, but wasn't a belief, but it was sort of a belief. How many know what I'm talking about? It wasn't the belief that said, it wasn't the belief that could, like I said earlier, can sing those songs. It was a belief in in something, it was a belief in maybe he's prophet, maybe he's Messiah, maybe he's this, but it missed the connection that he is indeed Jesus, the son of the living God who would die and rise again. They missed that connection. Jesus knew their hearts and their motives and what they were really looking for. Then he kind of, if you will, doubles down in verse 25. He said, he did not need any testimony about mankind for he knew what was in each person. So again, What's the takeaway from us today out of this passage? 
Number one is we need to know the why behind our belief. Why have you come on this beautiful Sunday morning when, when it's just gorgeous out there? Why would you come in here and sit and listen to a, a guy talk about something like this? Why would you stand for 20-something minutes with your hands raised and your heart open to what God is doing? What's the why? What's the motive behind it? He knew each person and he knew what each one was thinking what no one else would know why he was fully God fully man of course he knew it's like when he saw Nathaniel coming down the road he said there is one in whom there is no deceit and there's no guile there's no deceit in that one he knows what's going on in each of us today and I think that's a sobering thought for me anyway how about you he knows my thoughts he knows my motives he knows my heart that even as I'm speaking here out to you, he knows what's taking place in the recesses of who I am inside where no one else can see. They believed in a way that prevented that life-giving, abundant connection with the Lord Jesus Christ. There was something that was hindering. And so John, maybe he, he wants to clarify. And so he pushes in on this in chapter 3. A lot of people think that there shouldn't have been the break between chapter 2 and chapter 3. Because the beginning of chapter 3, the example of Nicodemus coming to see Jesus, is the example <coughs> excuse me, of what he has just said in John 23 through 25. There is this man who is a Pharisee. Well, let's read it. John 3, 1 through 2. Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. We know, we know what Nicodemus is before we know who he is. He's a Pharisee. Now, I and, and others, we, and even the disciples, the writers of the Gospels, they give kind of Pharisees a, a bad name. And, and I don't disagree, it's just, you know, these were men seeking their lives. For many of them, they were sincere in their hearts. They were seeking holiness before God. They wanted to live differently. They wanted to be different. They followed the Torah, the, five, the first five books of what we call the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament. They followed the, the dietary, the, the moral laws religiously. They were all about spiritual formation. They wanted to become the people that God wanted them to become. They tried to live in complete obedience Jesus goes on to call, and we'll read it. He'll say, you're, Nicodemus, you're a teacher of Israel. He was part of the high council. I mean, this guy, I mean, honestly, you could almost take out his name and put in the Apostle Paul's name, couldn't you? I mean, they're almost identical in, in how they, they live their lives. And he's seeking out Jesus probably at night. He's got some questions, and he doesn't want his other council members to see that he's there. Something is missing in Nicodemus. So he and Jesus have a long conversation. And it centers around this thought, what must I do to be born again? What does it mean? How can I follow? It means to be born again. Jesus replied in John 3, 3, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. And this blows Nicodemus's mind. He says, wait, 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 wait. I can't get my head around that. Well, there's a reason there. Jesus is saying you can't get into the kingdom of God on your own efforts. He's saying you can't work your way, you can't earn your way, you can't do anything. It's all about this thing called grace. It's about being born again, acknowledging our need of a savior. It's about asking forgiveness. It's about receiving the gift of God's presence. It's about learning to listen to the spirit of God and walking in the spirit day by day. And for whatever reason, Nicodemus could not get his head around that. 
We have no record of, of Nicodemus moving and taking the next step. Here's the problem. Something in Nicodemus could not move past the rules. Something in Nicodemus could not move past the understanding about salvation, about forgiveness, about being born again, about being born of the Spirit. The Spirit infuses our spirits. He couldn't get past that. He was checking the boxes, going through the motions, but his past and his present was lift, uh, limiting his future. Does that make sense to everybody? Has that ever happened to us? Our past and even our present, it limits and what happens is we start doing the form of, if you will, godliness. We start doing the form of what it means to be a Christ follower. We start going through the motions of saying, well, I come, I do the stuff. I check the boxes. But somewhere along the line, because I think this text is for believers like you and I, I think it's saying it's not about checking the boxes. It's about going deeper in our faith and growing in who Jesus wants us to be through prayer, through worship, through fellowship, through the word of God, through all these different things. We become who Jesus wants us to be by believing in him. I, I submit again, once again, it's the why. Why do we come? Why do we sing? Why do we worship? Why do we pick up this book? Why do we revere it so much? Why is Jesus and who he is so important to you and I? What's the why today? What's the why? So you have this, you have this, there's, a, uh, there's this contrast, at least for me. You have Nicodemus and he's got all the same things that the apostle Paul had going on. But for some reason, the apostle Paul saw the whole world differently. Philippians chapter three, verses four through six. If someone else thinks, now listen to Paul. This is Paul, much like Nicodemus. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in their flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. Paul says, I am a Hebrew of Hebrews in regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, listen to what he said, I am faultless. Paul is saying, hey, I got it all together here. You want to compare notes? You want to go up against me? I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. In regard to holiness and living life right, I was faultless. I didn't do a thing wrong. I had it all together. And you want zeal? I was persecuting those Christ followers. Both Nicodemus and Paul were trying to live righteously. They were both zealous in their followership of God. But see if you can spot the difference. Philippians chapter 3, 7 through 9. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having the righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, through belief in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. What's the contrast? Law versus life in Jesus. It's, it's, Jesus is the why of Paul's life. Everything is, is lost for the sake of Jesus. Everything else around him is garbage. And if there is anything good in Paul, he would say, it's not because of him. It's because of, of who Jesus is in my life. Paul knew he was someone who existed by the forgiveness, by the atonement that was found in Jesus Christ and nothing else. 
Not all his accomplishments, not all his contributions, not anything else. It was solely about because of who he was in Jesus Christ today. And he had felt the grace and the mercy of God. And he would be the first to fall on his knees. I guarantee you, when, when, when we knelt, was it last week we knelt? I don't remember. I guarantee you the Apostle Paul sitting on the front row would have been the first one down and the last one up. And I guarantee you, someone like Paul, overwhelmed by the, by the why of Jesus, would have wept and cried and lifted his hands and worshipped and exalted the Lord Jesus Christ. He would have been able to worship in spirit and in truth because nothing was more important to him. Nothing was more important than that. So what was the problem back there in John chapter 2, 23 through 25? I got to thinking about it early, about five o'clock this morning. I think it was that whole soils thing that Jesus talked about in Matthew. Remember the soils? Some fell on this kind of ground. Some fell on that kind of ground. Some, well, maybe, maybe that kind of belief that John began to celebrate in verse 23, maybe that was seed that fell on, on, on soil and the enemy came in. The enemy of your soul, the enemy we talked about two weeks ago, came in and stole it stole what the Lord was beginning to do. Maybe he just comes in and he steals. Maybe it's the cares of the world that these people, that, that Jesus knew was deep in their hearts. Maybe, just maybe, the cares and the stress and the anxiety began to overwhelm. Let me tell you, I understand anxiety, I understand stress. I get it. But my friends, what Jesus wants to say to you, and I'm on a tangent, wants to say, do not let those things overrule what God wants to do in your life today. Do not do it. Let the power and the majesty and the glory and the presence and the spirit of the living God push back against the enemy, push back against the cares and the stress of this world, and, and, and even push back against the enticements of this world. Let's be honest. It's some, some stuff's pretty cool out there. Is it okay to say? I mean, I mean, sin wouldn't be near as popular if it wasn't so fun. Is that, is that, is that legal? I'm just saying. Spirit of the Lord wants to push back against that. Wants to renew your spirit. Wants to renew your heart. And wants us to, to catch a zeal and a zealousness. The likes of which the Apostle Paul experienced today. It's the danger for us all. The Bible says, and I, I don't mean to harp on this. But the enemy, enemy of your soul wants to kill, steal, and destroy what's going on inside of you. He wants to make you come into worship. And, and, and I guarantee you. And this is where you get sober here right now. I'm not saying you've been drinking. I'm just saying sober, mindful thinking. Just think about this. When you walk in and, and you can't wait for worship to be over, boy, these guys sing and they sing and they sing. <laughs> Between you and me, that should be a clue to a problem. Is that okay to say? Oh, thank you. I said it. It's in. It's done. <laughs> When you're sitting here thinking, and I'm not picking on you because most of you are fully engaged. I can see it in your faces, except for the one over there who's asleep, but I won't look at you again. <laughs> I'm messing with you. When you can't ponder that verse because that verse has a, that, that, those verses we read, John chapter 2, 23 through 25, has paradox written all over it. I mean, it's, it's a mind bender for me. How about this one? You've heard me speak now for just a few minutes. The words of 24 and 25, Jesus knew what was going on inside of them. And no one had to tell him about people because he already knew. 
He knew what men and women were like. He knew what we were like. If you haven't once asked yourself that question, this question, here it is, are you ready? If you haven't asked this, then you need a gut check right now. What does Jesus see in me? Pause. What does Jesus see in me? If worship's too long, if the word is, is not worthy of thought, and if those questions aren't asked, then we have to ask ourselves, Lord, I, what we need to pray, not ask, what we need to pray. I'm not gonna break out in song, but there's this song, uh, it's an old one. Think Jack Hayford wrote it. I need a brand new touch. Anyone remember that, Peggy? I can't even tell you. It, if you're here today, if you're here today, and, and you're at that spot where none of those things were happening, then you need a brand new touch from Jesus today. You need what we call in, in Bible circles, you know, the old time prosper. You need a fresh anointing. You need something. You need a touch from the presence of God, the Holy Spirit in your life right now. And I'm not judging you. Man, I've been there. I, I, I need that. How about you? I need it every day. So what happens? And I'm, 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 you know, they're coming out. I am getting ready to close. Almost. Here's the thing. Okay, now catch this passage of Scripture, and we'll close pretty quick after this. For just as the body is, has, is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews and Greeks, slaves and free, and all who were made, all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. Verse 26. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ, individually members of it. We're all different here today, aren't we? All different. When I, was, when I got up early and I was rewriting this message, I'll tell you why in just a minute. Uh, we're all different. And I thought of that song. I have a weird line. Anyone remember the song about armor hot dogs? Hot dogs, armor, hot dogs. What kind of kids? Anyone? Any? No, okay. That's <laughs> okay. That's okay. I'm, yeah, mm -hmm. some of you are lying. <laughs> My point is, the, bo the, the body of Christ is filled with all kinds of people. I mean, we have, right in this room, we have introverts and extroverts. We've got feelers and we've got thinkers. We've got intuitives. We've got logicians. We've got, we've got all kinds of people and all kinds of backgrounds and all kinds of attitudes. We've got, we got uh, calm people, and then there are people who can't sit still. We have people with different giftings and different skills. We've got people with the gift of discernment, wisdom, uh, and all the, the different gifts and, and all the skill sets. We're, we're all different today, and you know what? I say praise God for the differences because we're all in the same body. We're all one body. One, that means... 
I need you and you need me. That means we're all in this together and when we've privatized and we put God in a box, I need you to tell me, hey, you've got God in a box. When I'm hurting and struggling, here's a for instance, yesterday, I don't know, two or three o'clock, all my notes are almost done, they're finished, I'm just reworking some and hoping that it all goes well and I'm looking at my screen and it goes blank. All my notes were gone. Every single one of them. Well, my grandchildren weren't around, so I had to call adults. I called Pastor Daniel, because he used to work at Apple, and he came over, and he tried to, he did, he worked some magic. Didn't work. We called Candace. Candace came over, and she tried to work her magic. And I'm sweating bullets here. Can't, can't find it. Nothing saved. Can't find it anywhere. All the files are corrupted. Then Mary comes home and she's a whiz at it and she can't do it. Called Nick on the phone and he was no help. <laughs> What's my point? I have two points. Number one, it was a rough night last night. It was rough. If I, no one needs to hear that message ever again. But that's one. But two is... I know it sounds silly to you, but it was the body of Christ in action. I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it, so I called someone. And they, they came over and they did their best and someone else came and then someone else came. See, that's the body of Christ. When you're struggling in your beliefs, when you don't feel like praying, there'll be people to gather around you if you're part of the body of Christ who will pray until you're ready to pray. If you're struggling in your spirit, a brokenness over a son or a daughter, there'll be someone that maybe you're so distraught you can't, but there'll be someone who gathers around you to pray. There'll be people, if you're willing to be a part of the body of Christ, to build you up and to say, you gotta get back in, in the word of God. You gotta get back to study and let's do this together. Let's pray together. Let's meet once a week. Five o'clock last night. Before the service, there were eight of us, I think eight of us, I don't know how many. We gathered around, anointed Della and Mark with oil because they're going through a difficult time. She's going to go through cancer treatment for a solid 30 days up in isolation up north at Seattle. Well, man, if we don't do that stuff, what are we for? If the body of Christ doesn't come together and believe together and trust together and know the why together and pray for one another, then what's the point? I'll close with this. We were at the uh, place where the Sermon on the Mount took place. And my grandson wanted to read the scriptures that we were going to talk about for a few moments. And he comes up, and I, I hand him the microphone. And he starts reading, and then he looks at me and says, he said, Pa, I can't do it. I can't do it. And in that moment, I looked at him and I said this, you can do it. You can do it. He reads well, he can do it. But I said this to him, I said, listen, if you can't do it, I'll step in and I'll finish it. 
I don't know about anybody else, but that was a moment for me because how many times have I heard that from my Heavenly Father? Ray, if you can't do it, I'm there. How many times have people in this congregation, men in this congregation, stepped up and said, how many when I said we had a hellish week, two or three of you caught me and you prayed with me right after the service? And a bunch of you hugged me just because you know I don't like hugging. (laughs) But that's what the body does. The body supports one another. So that when our beliefs, when we're struggling, when when our belief is faltering just a bit, our faith is diminishing just a bit, we swoop in like the body of Christ and we build one another up. Does that make sense to you today? It's not about your... Listen, and honestly, I really will close with this. Your spirituality, your disciplines aren't about you being puffed up. Your discipline of prayer, the word, and all these things, when you're growing in Christ and, and you're growing up, is not to bless you. It's to bless the body. It's to bless others. There's no such thing as a lone ranger Christian. Even he had Tonto. Say, no, no, I got this. D.L. Moody, sharp guy, great preacher. D.L. Moody. Was invited to this guy's house, house as we close. And it, this, this gentleman had been over to D.L. Moody's meeting. And he had questions. And he comes in. And he sits down in this chair with D.L. Moody. And he says, uh, Pastor Moody, listen, I don't need the church to be a Christ follower. I can do this all on my own. Now, I get salvation. It's one-on-one thing. But I do know this, that after salvation in Acts chapter 2, you got put in the church, the body of Christ. Don't separate that out. The guy said to Moody, I can do this all on my own. It's a cold day, so Moody and he are sitting by a big old fireplace, and you know they're using coal, and this coal thing is on fire, and, and so Moody just takes the poker, and he pulls one little coal out by itself, and he sets it over all by itself, and he just sits there and he watches it. And the coal slowly begins to, the flame begins to die. The flame begins to, to go away. And it's probably one of the greatest messages that Moody ever preached. What's the moral of that story? You think you can do it on your own. I'm here today to tell you, you can't. We are the church together. We go out there and tell people about Jesus. We invite kids to vacation Bible school. We go to camp and support our teenagers. We support one another in life groups and in small groups and in brave and in pastoral care and in the meeting where all the the fathers get together. Uh, I met with a guy for coffee this next week. He had two important meetings coming. I just prayed with them. That's all I did. No wisdom. I just prayed with them. That's what we are, the church together. The journey is not about you going by yourself. The journey is all of us going together. And if one falls back, we all wait until that one catches up. We are the church together. Let's pray. Father, uh, Lord, I... Man, thanks for loving us. Thanks for believing in us. Thanks for the sense of our of our need for forgiveness and grace and mercy that connects us with you. Lord, let no one stand alone. Bind our hearts together as the body of Christ, the church. One holy passion for you, one one zeal for you, one vision, one mission, one purpose, one calling. 
Raise up a, a mighty army, we pray, beginning today. Search our hearts. If there's anything in me, Lord, root it out today. Root it out. So that when I come into this place, when I don't feel like worship, I'll hear the worship of others and I will lift my hands and praise you. When I can't pray the words, bring those people alongside of me who can pray with me and for me. When the word is a little dry or, or complex, maybe says something I don't agree with, and Lord, help me stay in there and bring others alongside so that we can grow together in what the word is saying to us, the church. Fresh wind, fresh fire today. In Jesus' name we pray. Stand with me. Let's worship the Lord together. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to partner with us in sharing Jesus and helping people experience life change, you can support our mission by clicking the link in the description. If this message has impacted you, please subscribe and share. To learn more, visit wearecalvary.com. We'll see you back next week.